This episode of the Cascadian Beer Podcast has been made possible by the BC Ale Trail. Arrive thirsty, leave inspired at bcaletrail.ca. Opening a brewery can be a costly adventure. So what if there was a space where you can share resources and equipment? Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers and what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest and the North American continent. It is made of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I profile the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. Today, I'm in East Vancouver, or in the brewing world, it's commonly referred to as Yeast Van. And I'm at a brewery unlike any other in Canada. Callister Brewing is home to multiple breweries sharing their space to test and grow their brands. In a bit, We'll hear from two current breweries operating in the space, but first, I wanted to get the backstory from one of the co-founders of Callister Brewing. I am Chris Lay, and I am owner and head brewer at Callister Brewing Company. And how long has Callister been open? Uh, we've been open for just over three years. Right. And uh, what is different about Callister than any other brewery in Vancouver? Well, we uh, we have a quite a different model than any other brewery in, in Vancouver, in BC, or in Canada, in that we ocu- operate what we call an incubator or co-working style brewery, mm-hmm. uh, where we in invite other brewers uh, who do not have their own commercial space at this time to join us, use our space, use our brew house and, 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 and fermenters and take advantage of our manufacturing and retail permits uh, so that they can brew their beer and get their brand out to the public for a much smaller investment and, and in, in kind of a turnkey package. They can just start and immediately start brewing beer and selling it to the public. Because listeners of the podcast might have picked up on the theme that it's expensive to start a brewery. Exactly. So, uh, so I mean, an incubator is a great way to describe it. I just describe that to a, t- a couple of technology guys. Right, like, yeah. They're just like, they're like, oh, I now understand this. So, um, so what is the size of the space? And um, is there like a set rule of, oh, you can only have so many tanks at a time? Or like, how does the scheduling work here and to make beer? Well, I mean, as, as far as the size of the space, I mean, it, I think our production space is about 900 square feet. We've got a 500 square foot lounge. Uh, we're pretty tiny altogether. Our brew house is are entirely five heck. Like we're not doing double brews or anything like that. So our fermenters are five hectoliters as well. And the brew house is the is the is the one part of the of the brewery that has the most availability. So we're not we're not always brewing beer. So that, so in a given week, uh, there's always opportunities for us to schedule somebody to brew in there. And so we just take advantage of of simple technology, Google calendars and that sort of things to manage that. And also just conversation. It's like, hey, I want to do this. Like, in, in fact, right now, Tim from Good Buddy Brewing is doing a kettle sour. So he needs the brew house, he needs the kettle from the brew house for 24 to 36 hours. And so we just need to make sure that that's going to work out uh, for everybody else. And then good to go. We restrict them to one fermenter. So that is probably the biggest bottleneck of everything. As 
as brewers ourselves, our, our main focus is still making our own beer and selling our own beer. Uh, so we have the vast majority of, of, of fermentation uh, vessels and tap space and time on the, on the brew house. But each brewer gets their own tank that they're allowed to do whatever it is that they want to do in that space. And they manage it 100% of the, the process. And what is the application process uh, for wanting to brew here? Is it like a Dragon's Den scenario where you got to bring in homebrew? And if you like it, I mean, like what, what's, what's the process? A little bit. Uh, it, takes, it takes quite a, quite a while. So we usually start conversations in the fall. Our intake starts in July. So it's the same as our anniversary. So we open in July of 2015. So that's kind of our one-year anniversary. So that's kind of when we turn over our brewers. It's a bit of a crazy time of year to do that because it's summertime. It's our busiest possible time. So it's a little hectic, but at the same time, it's a really great opportunity for brewers to start brewing beer and sell really well in the summertime. But we, we start our conversations in the fall uh, with people who are interested, and we often get uh, you know, a pretty wide number of people who are interested in the program. And we start those conversations, we send out kind of an information package and get information back from those people. And that process immediately starts to narrow the focus. So some people... As soon as they find out it's a one-year commitment, that's not really what they were after. They were looking for something very short-term. Uh, we do ask a certain amount of, of input, of upfront costs to invest in the program. Uh, and again, that might weed out a few people as well. So by the time we've reached the, the new year, January, February, we're talking to the people who are still really serious about it. We've hopefully also sat down with them and had some of their homebrew or some of their, the product that they've had before. Because we're not here to teach people how to brew. We want people to, to have really solid brewing credentials behind them. But we want to expose them to the commercial world more than maybe they have already. So we do want to see what they can do and what, what, uh, what their uh, stylistic views might be. You know, we've had some very distinct brewers come through here with mm-hmm. folks like Boombox or, or Superflux mm-hmm. doing significantly, you know, uh, Northeast style or, or barrel sours or, mm-hmm. or, you know, Morningstar just did a real Belgian focus. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see that play out, but we also need to see if that's going to work with that gear. And then like, uh, you also have a friend of the podcast, Real Cask was here for yes. a number of years yep. and that, that was very distinct. Adam Chapman was with us for three years doing a very specific program of cask beers. Uh, and that was really special. Adam really wanted to bring proper cask beer to Vancouver because it was very much underrepresented. We loved having somebody that could manage that program for us. Uh, so what started as a one-year program turned into a three-year program uh, and worked really well. But Adam's moved on and we're actually now taking over that cast program uh, and continuing it on because we've seen what a great sort of special thing it is to have in the city. I mean, I come here for the casks. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we don't want to end up with a bunch of brewers that are doing the exact same thing. So we want to make sure that we have a good representation uh, that personalities are going to fit together and that mm-hmm. everybody's going to be able to work well. So, and so far we've, we've, we've managed to uh, kind of find those fits quite nicely. So we've talked about this space in general, and it's not like you've just opened this space and mm. Hey, brewers come to me. You actually brew as well. Yep. So how did beer find you? Well, I've been a great fan and, and lover of beer for a number of years. My introduction to craft beer was uh, in the nineties with things like, uh, Shaftbury when Shaftbury was brewed locally and then, you know, discovering storm and, uh, even Okanagan Springs again, back in the day, like some of these, these initial brands that were really trying to do something different from the mainstream and also the introduction of, of, of international beers, um, discovering Belgian styles and, and German styles and all these kind of things really opens up uh, your mind when all you've been drinking is Canadian lager for the, most of your adult life. Mm-hmm. 
So that really got me interested. And then I kind of went through the process of, oh, you know, I can go to this U-Brew place and, and make different styles of beer there. And that's kind of fun, although you don't have very much hands-on. Mm-hmm. And that eventually led to learning about homebrewing. Uh, and myself and my partner, Diana McKenzie, decided to start homebrewing because we just thought, oh, well, we really do enjoy beer. We'd really love to know more about the process and get really get into it. And so we went to Dan's Homebrewing, as everybody did, mm-hmm. and, and bought ourselves a kit. We started all grain right off the bat. So we, you know, we, we got the plastic mash tun and the kettle and the immersion chiller and immediately got a, a, an Irish red grain recipe which I, I learned later on is one of the hardest beers to brew correctly. Well, <laughs> and went home yeah. and made a completely mediocre beer, right. but it was, it was but fantastic. You it made it exciting. Yeah, we made it. It worked. It was drinkable. It was drinkable. <laughs> and, and that was, that was literally that, that very first beer was the gateway to everything that happened after that. We fell in love with it immediately. Although we had many more questions about what was going on. Why did it still taste like that? You brew that I used to make. You know, how can I get it to be better? And that's actually when we were introduced to Graham With, uh, Parallel 49, and also the, the founder of Van Brewers, the, the local homebrew club. And he invited us to go to the Van Brewers Summer Barbecue. This is in 2012, I guess. And we went and were just astounded by the quality of beer, the knowledge of the people involved, and the willingness for them to share that information with us as, as newcomers. And immediately find out why my beer tasted that way or what I could do better and how I could improve that process. And after leaving that party, the germ- that germination of starting a brewery was already f- fomenting. But also the idea that we need to include this group somehow. There's, n- there's nothing in the city that allows these brewers to access commercial space because the laws and the, and the simple cost of, of doing it is, is very much a barrier mm-hmm. to anyone getting into it. So wouldn't it be neat if we created a space that, you know, and, and very naively we thought, oh, we'll just have homebrewers in all the time and they can brew beer and we'll put it on. It's not that easy. But we did figure out a way to involve these people in our, in our program. And we actually do invite homebrewers in to come do small batches with us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, that was a, a key mandate for us from the very beginning was to involve the, the homebrew community and be a bit of a hub for that community, not just another retailer selling product to consumers. Right. And, uh, and, you know, as much as it's nice to get people just to come in and just make beer as a yeah. home brewer, much like a community radio station, people show up for two months and then it kind of yeah. just fades out. Right. So it's, it's, so you have a commitment for dedicated, I want to make beer. It was very so. important for us to have that commitment and that you were not just, uh, you know, if you wanting to be a part of the program, it wasn't just about, Oh, I'd like to make a bit of more beer than I normally do. No, no I have a plan that I want to go from homebrewing to some sort of commercial involvement, mm-hmm. whether it's opening your own brewery or uh, connecting with another group that might open a brewery. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of one of our more recent alumni is now a head brewer at a local brewery mm-hmm. from, and that was all made possible by his experience here. Yeah. And we, we just think that's, that's fantastic. Like we love the successes that, that the group of people that have come through us mm-hmm. have had. And we just hope to continue that process. Right. right. So, yeah. So, I mean, where do we go from here? I mean, like we're sitting in the back right now and it doesn't look like there's much room to expand. No. So. Uh, and to be honest, we're trying, we're trying our hardest not to expand. We believe that staying small, staying experimental mm-hmm. and not getting trapped in the medium-sized brewery game mm-hmm. where you are now trying to compete with the big guys for shelf space, for tap space, you're paying a sales team, you're paying 
lots of other people to, to deal with this. And it hasn't really happened in Canada too much, but we've definitely seen in the States that the medium-sized breweries are the ones that are failing yep. because they can't, they can't grow fast enough. They're not mm-hmm. getting bought by some large brewery yep. and they simply can't compete. Yep. And then you, you end up, you're selling beer too cheap and, and you, you really can't make it work. However, if you, can, if you can maintain a certain smallness, a certain niche, focus on retail, especially. And I've always believed in the idea of, of always having something fresh. Mm-hmm. Maybe comes a little bit from, I mean, you know, my background is web development and design and that sort of stuff. You're always looking for a reason for people to come and visit your website, for yep. example. You always had to have fresh content. Mm-hmm. Well, we believe the same thing here. Instead of having a mainstay of beers that people might, might really like and really yep. adopt, yeah. We would actually prefer to just have something constantly changing. So you've always got to come back and see what's going on. Yeah. But that's why I'm down here all the time <laughs> and fall in love with a new favorite yeah. every couple of weeks, yeah. you know, but staying small as far as our production is concerned is actually a part of that because it allows us to be super flexible. It allows mm-hmm. us to respond to seasons, to mm-hmm. trends, to what our customers are telling us. And the tasting room's not that big too. So no, we, yeah, we have a 40 seat tasting room. Unfortunately, Vancouver, that's, there's not a lot of really large tasting rooms in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Yeah. Ours is not bad for our size. Yeah, it's a it's a fine balance. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, some some other breweries have gone to that restaurant model and mm-hmm. that allows them to have larger space patios and that kind of stuff and that's awesome. Uh, we're not really in that kind of space, but mm-hmm. we're quite happy with producing awesome small batch beer for the people who have found us and Really love us. And your partner just started a kind of a side project with you guys and you're now making sodas. How did mm-hmm. that project come about? Uh, it's funny. That was actually part of our program right from the beginning. Uh, when we learned that as a retail place with a lounge, we had to offer non-alcoholic options to our patrons. Right. Now, usually the option is purchasing sodas or something like that from somewhere else and selling them. Uh, but Diana had been experimenting with sodas at home for quite some time. And we just thought, well, why wouldn't we just just like our brewing, let's just expand that a little bit and, and sell sodas. So we, we started off just having it available in our lounge. So we actually just focused on making syrups that we mixed uh, by order. And when somebody ordered something, we mixed it with soda water mm-hmm. and it was ready to go. And we'd also make cocktails out of that and that sort of thing. But the idea was always to expand on that. And this year we managed to start bottling. Uh, so we've ramped up that production. We've, we've been bottling the sodas, which has been extremely popular here in the lounge, but we've also been selling to quite a few other places as well. Uh, and we feel like, really feel like that's a sort of a, an untapped market in Vancouver. There's a few, you know, there's, there's a few soda makers, there's kombucha makers, but mostly the options are not local. They're, they're coming from other places. So we feel like there's a real, real opportunity for, again, handmade, small batch, interesting sodas, that can be served in other lounges, in other restaurants. We think they're great for cocktails. So we're, get, we're getting it in the hands of bartenders to play around with, and they're really having some fun with that. We just, we see a lot of potential there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks so much to Chris from Callister for his time. Before we get into the other breweries, I just want to tell you about Vancouver's craft beer scene and how it's exploded in recent years. And with 30 breweries within the city limits, it can be pretty daunting to even know where to begin to explore. Thankfully, the BC Ale Trail has you covered with the Vancouver Ale Trail. On the website at bcaletrail.ca, you'll find recommended itineraries for each region, a comprehensive list of every craft brewery in BC, a calendar of beer events, and a blog with lots of great stories. The regional ale trails include local breweries, pubs, and restaurants, along with other activities the area has to offer. So whether you're planning a weekend trip or being a tourist in your own backyard, let the BC Ale Trail guide you to your next beer adventure. Arrive thirsty, leave inspired at bcltrail.ca. 
All right, I wanted to talk to some of the breweries that are currently operating with Callister at the moment. So my first was Sundown Brewing. My name is Kevin Garneau. I am CEO or general manager of Sundown Brewing. My name is Charles Lacan. Uh, I'm in charge of marketing. And I am Benjamin Gradage, and I am head brewer. All right. So Sundown Brewing, we're at Callister. Um, you guys have only been running since July, right, Kevin? Yeah, we started in July officially, and we've been helping our breweries in the facility since about May. All right, cool. Ben, how did beer find you? Oh, boy. I don't know. I think I was just browsing through the liquor store aisles, and I think I found a nice red racer can. Right. And uh, it just had a nice logo that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. And I dived right into that and uh, decided, hey, I'll check out more things. And it grew from there. Then just trying more and more things, getting Kevin here in with beer as well. And uh, yeah, we just found ourselves starting to brew our own beer on the uh, when we were in the same apartment building and it uh, flourished from there. Right. So, Kevin, were you already into beer or did uh, Ben drag you into it here? I think it came down to we would see what other companies were creating and we were wondering, hey, how does that even come to be? What, how did they get those flavors uh, put together? And Ben's curiosity and my tenacity to, hey, let's keep trying. Uh, we started with extract and grain and then mm-hmm. eventually moving up to where we are now. But mm-hmm. it really came down to the curiosity of, hey, can we make this? Mm-hmm. With Charles, uh, he came aboard and really saw the product and how we could elevate it into more of a, a product that people would want to purchase or explore on a broader scale kind of brought it all together. Right. So Charles, like how good was their homebrew then for you to have this epiphany? It, it was pretty good <laughs> being modest and all. Uh, I'm, I'm from France, so I'm not the hugest beer guy, you know, uh, wine is kind of where I started, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, beer is where my heart is. And I've been in Vancouver for 10 years now, and it's a beautiful place to be in for that. So when I'm, I met them and they started showing me their beers, it's like, Oh, this is amazing. You know, because we, we want to stay true to what, classic style should be you know and that's i think that's kind of what we want to go for and uh we're just like hey there's this space for everyone in vancouver so why not take it and just go with it yeah so how did uh you guys hear about callister uh we had a mutual friend named dane uh he owns bestie mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he is partial owner of sunday cider uh he actually got us to call adam chapburn because adam was more directly involved with callister at the time and we wanted to say hey we want to do this more professionally how can we do it for cheap? Because the startup brewery in Vancouver is a huge financial undertaking, whereas Callister provides the ability to do so with a lot less upfront. Mm-hmm. So it was truly just through word of mouth and Callister being such a household name in Vancouver. Right. And so Ben, like what have been the immediate benefits for you guys here in terms of coming on board and brewing here? Being able to get experience with actual production that actually goes out to someone who has to pay for a beer at the other end as opposed to just giving them for free and being like, hey, this is great. And not knowing that there's some bias in the other end of that. Well, I mean, all free beer to some extent is great, isn't it? True. True. <laughs> there, there is an innate quality to that. Yeah, which yeah. You can't replace. Yeah. But uh, no, it's been great to have actual production, you know, quality equipment here to make beer on and mm-hmm. find out the full process going through um having um just the volume that you're making being so different mm-hmm. it's just a huge scale up so charles i mean what have been the reactions so far i mean we're only a couple months into this thing but like you know what's been the engagement from the public of what you guys are making it, i think it's been good i mean i don't know if you guys agree but i think the engagement has been where we kind of 
want it to be just like we are fresh, we new people are digging what we're doing so far. Like we have, we we're trying to be, as I said, like straight to like what a good effervizon should be, a good sour should be. Like put real fruits in them. Like and we work hard. They can tell that, and I think people have been digging it so far. So. And Kevin, what kind of uh, research did you guys do in the planning of opening a brewery? Like, you know, were you scared off at any time or, you know, like, you know, what was, what was the business plan and how did that come about? Well, from the get-go, to be honest, none of us had any idea what we were getting into. Uh, we did a lot of research, kind of what areas we wanted to go to, what beers would be best for the certain demographic. And everything's constantly changing and moving, especially with our idea of where we want the brewery to be. So I think the biggest hurdles are the financials. And especially with Vancouver, there are so many great breweries already. How do we make ourselves stand out in the current market space? So we've looked at certain locations such as Marpole, down on Cambia Marine, but how to deal with then the zoning structure of with all the new condos going up, how can we convince landowners that a brewery will be beneficial to that neighborhood mm-hmm. and marketplace so that would be the biggest hurdle we found with developing our business plan and trying to get people on board with our vision as it's constantly evolving. So is that the next step then? Like you would like to open a neighborhood like Marple or like, or, or do you think you're going to go another route like some other alumni from Callister? Currently at this stage of the game, we want to make great beer and find out how people perceive it. We want to see if what we're making is what the market wants, what feedback we can get. Marple was appealing for us because we seen as a, neighborhood that's developing and could utilize their own neighborhood brewery. Uh, again, with the zoning conflicts, it might be difficult. So we are looking towards maybe a small town or another community that, again, shares the vision of wanting to have their own spot, their own place to call their brewery. Mm-hmm. And BC is huge. There's a lot of places that don't have anything Mm -hmm. and we would love to have their own uh, craft brewery. Yeah. And we're larger than many countries. So, yeah. (laughs) So this question to all three of you, who is inspiring you guys to uh, press forward and make the beer that you're making? Uh, Right now, I admire Steel and Oak a lot because they're going towards a lot of old uh, world styles, which are are hard to pull off in the market Mm because it's a lot of uh, re-education. I think that has to be done for that. So I'm admiring them that they're keeping pushed towards that, especially since they have a limited production space like anyone else in Vancouver. And it takes a lot of time to do that. I know for myself, I've always quite admired Dagrad. Oh, yeah. Uh, they started very, very small and their tasting room had three seats. And to grow to where they are today with a massive tasting room, but still sticking very true to we're making this style of beer for this clientele and they've always stuck to it. They didn't change to make the market accept them. Uh, they stuck to what they were and now look at them now. So definitely admire their aspect. Funny enough, I think I have, I have two breweries that I've been kind of looking uh, looking up to. There's one in Sweden, which I obviously forgot the name now that you're asking me the question. Um, and they are it's very small. They do a lot of fruity, very fruity beers. Not mm-hmm. sweet, just like beautiful, beautiful beers. You can find them here. Uh, at Legacy or Brewery Quick, they have a bunch, and I could not find the name. And there's another one that comes from where I actually grew up, which is like about 20 minutes away from where I grew up. It's called Madame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, they are making very refined, like I would say premium beers, which is very much based on how winemaking is, mm-hmm. which is to me amazing because looking at the industry, like 
reinventing itself over there just is inspiring because everyone thinks France is about wine, which it is. Mm-hmm. But now the craft beer market is actually opening over there and that gets me super excited. So maybe yeah. maybe sundown in France, who knows? Yeah, I just came back from uh, Finland as well and Estonia and Finland are just blowing up too. So it's, yeah, it's something. So a question again to all three of you, um, what has been the best advice that you've been given so far in opening a brewery? I, w- I would say so far the... What's been eye-opening is how you market a beer. Uh, and by that, I mean what kind of fruit using and how you say it, because the perception some people have can be very, very different. Mm-hmm. You can put some pitch in something and someone's going to say, hey, it tastes like a pear. <laughs> so being maybe sometimes vague in the names can benefit benefit everyone, us, because we make great beer nonetheless. And mm-hmm. But people can see whatever, they, you know, they can taste whatever they want. So I think definitely looking at how do people perceive your beer, even though you think it's a great product? Like maybe the name of the beer will change their mind. It's weird, but uh, that's what I've seen so far. I know from a planning stage, uh, the best advice that was given to me is don't rush anything. Don't jump onto any one thing. Uh, I can't tell you how many name revisions Sundown has had (laughs) or any business plan ideas we've jumped onto and latched onto and paid for certain marketing and certain uh, business ideas that if we just slowed it down and thought it through. And at the beginning, it was just Ben and I, once we brought Charles in, he really made us sit down and think about how we wanted to present everything and really put all of our decisions or idea on paper before we move forward. Mm -hmm. So again, the best advice was, is just to slow down and think it all through because you really do get one shot at this and you want to be perceived the way you're envisioning it in your mind. Um, definitely to stay true to a vision of uh, how you're going to create a product or a beer in this case. Um, nothing great was ever made by committee or just going entirely by what everyone else thought. You have to start with what your idea of what something's going to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, and uh, best of success here uh, at your time at Callister and moving forward. Thank you very much. Big thank you to the Sundown team for their time. And there was one brewery remaining. My name is Tim Rennie, and I'm the owner, I guess, and head brewer for Good Buddy Brewing, which is in Callister. Yeah, which is an interesting question that you're an owner because you just own the name. You don't own the space that you're in. I don't own the space, no, but I do have a company registered, and I'm the owner in name of that company. So it's cool. Yeah. Still an owner. Cool. And uh, how did beer find you? My dad was a big home brewer when I was a kid. Right. Um, and I would go to the homebrew shop and, and help him make his beers. He was never really any good at it, but it was fun for me. Uh, I made root beer a bunch of times like that. Sweet. And then when I got older, I just sort of started using some of his gear and getting into it myself. And that one thing led to another. Here I am now. Right. And are you uh, specializing in any type of style of beer here at Callister? Yeah, I kind of get that question a lot. And uh, it's sort of hard to put my finger on it. But I think my whole thing is I'm, I kind of consider myself to be like the the little brother or like goofy friend in, in the beer world. So I'm trying to do a lot of really weird styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I had the peanut butter and jam stout, which people really liked. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of got a sweet tooth. So I like beers that have different wacky fruits and and like i'm gonna do a marshmallow stout soon as well so things like that is what i'm looking towards just the wacky stuff right and uh we were talking beforehand you're doing a kettle sour at the moment with a bunch of peaches that's right yeah yeah so uh, where do those peaches come from um i like looked at a bunch of different places to get peaches and i was gonna drive out to this orchard in uh, the okanagan uh, but then i actually got a really good deal from donald's 
And of course it's like right by my house. <laughs> of course you And did. Uh, they've got good BC peaches. I've beaten them there lots of times. So I thought, what the heck? Why not just go across the street and get, get the peaches from them? Yeah. And they probably came from the Okanagan anyway. I right? think they did. Yeah. I know yeah. they're BC peaches. I don't know exactly where they came from, but yeah. they tasted great to me. Right. So uh, you've been brewing here since July, correct? Yeah. Or a little, be- little beforehand? Yeah. Like I'm pretty new. Uh, how long is that? Like two, three months now, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, July was kind of the beginning of all this happening and we were brewing a little bit what not too much was happening i actually got married at the beginning of june so i didn't even get here until i think it was july 10th or so Mm -hmm. so um so this is the year of development for you really oh yeah this has been a big year for me i'm I'm sure you can see right now i'm holding my arm like this i I recently broke my collarbone oh so you name it it's happened to me this year okay well (laughs) i hope it's only good fortune from here out yeah yeah they say things happen in threes so okay broke my collarbone uh i got a really severe burden on my foot as well oh okay and uh and i had pneumonia before that so those are the three (laughs) and uh it's gonna be all all good after yeah okay so so your beer is funky it's wild um is there anything like dare i say normal that that you've done like what what did you do beforehand where you, you were homebrewing obviously yeah before sure starting this right? uh so actually i've got like a kind of a bunch of commercial experience before this i was at salt spring island ales as the head brewer there oh yeah yeah uh, so i wasn't there super long it was about a year that i was there and then this came up and it seemed like a really cool opportunity. So I, I took this opportunity rather than staying there. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was a brewer at Coal Harbor and I worked at Parallel 49 before that as well. So, all right. So, uh, so yeah, I'd made lots of totally normal beers in the past. Right. And I will have some normal beers myself as well. Mm-hmm. It's just that's not really the thing that gets me super excited about beers. There's definitely a time and place for like a, a, a nice plain lager, but I'm probably not going to jump out of bed and tell all my friends about my lager that I made. Right. So there's been a few breweries kind of go through here and kind of move on to different things. Do mm-hmm. you have like the end game plan here when, when your time's up? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I know there's other breweries you probably are aware of Superflux and Boombox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like that sort of business model that they've both done. Boombox is in Parallel 49 now mm-hmm. and Superflux is in uh, Strathcona. Um, and I'm seeing lots of breweries kind of use that that business model, which really appeals to me. So I've got some plans that are kind of like that in the future. Not very solid right now. I would really like to do that because it's really uh, it's a cheap way to get into the industry without having a huge brick and mortar. Yep. Uh, so that appeals to me. Maybe down the road, something brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. I never really want to be huge. If I can find a way to have a tiny little brewery that makes enough money to pay for me to keep doing what I do, that would be ideal. But I don't really see that happening for a few years. Right. And like, are you thinking about packaging already, like in that next step? Because I mean, that kind of defines a brewery, doesn't it? If you're in bottles or cans, like totally. what, what you're what you're producing. So yeah, we have cans here right now, which you already know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the volume that we do is tiny. Yeah. I just and those got, are all hand filled too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You do it by hand for sure. And yeah. for me, I can only do half at a time right now. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I just got some barrels. They're in the back right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do... N- Probably a little bit of kegs, but it's probably going to be 90% bottle stuff that I do off the barrels. So there'll be a fair amount of bottles that I'll be making in the next several months. Mm -hmm. And that I'm hoping to put in a few uh, liquor stores. 
And then from there, we'll see what sort of manufacturing deals I get. But the plan for me is to have quite a bit more packaged product in the future. And who inspires you to make the beer that you make? Oh, man, this the beer industry is, is so cool around here. And uh, I, I've been pretty good buddies with everybody. And I, I feel like every day there's somebody that I'm talking to in the beer industry that gets me excited about something. Mm-hmm. So like uh, definitely right off the bat, Graham at Parallel 49, he's always been a really good buddy of mine. Uh, and I talk to him probably every day mm-hmm. and bug him about things like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, Dave at Powell Street's always doing really interesting things. Uh, Lupolo's making some really cool beers these days. Yep. I mean, I could go on and on all day about this. Yeah. The guys at Strathcona have been super awesome. They made yeah. the, what was it, old fashioned beer that was just phenomenal yep. a little while yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, I could talk all day about this kind of thing. <laughs> the Vancouver beer industry is just such a nice thing to be a part of. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck for your next year here and continued success with your brewery. Great. Thanks so much. It was good talking to you. <laughs> thank you so much, Tim, for your time. And thank you to everybody else at Callister. It was a great time hanging out with them. And you know what? You should go down there and check it out as well. Usually there's one of them behind the bar as well. So you can actually talk to the brewers about their beer, give them feedback and just really learn about the whole process and experience of uh, running a brewery. So go down and check out Callister when you can. Big thanks to the BC Ale Trail again for making this episode possible. Check them out at bcaletrail.ca. If you enjoyed this episode and other episodes in the series, I'd really appreciate you taking the time to leave us a review on wherever you listen to this podcast, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can leave a review. It really helps promote this podcast series and get it into as many ears as possible. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer, on Twitter at Cascadian Beer, and on Instagram at Cascadian Beer Podcast. For more information and to follow this podcast series, head to the website at Cascadian.beer. I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. And until next time, remember, support your local.